Thank you, choir, for that beautiful song and for Miss Jeannie and Bill and leading in our worship today as we celebrate the resurrection of the, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we enter our time of study and proclamation together, if you would take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm, uh, Psalm 16 as we look at this beautiful Psalm of David and consider what it means for us on this Resurrection Sunday, Psalm 16. I want to read this psalm and then I'll pray and we'll consider what the Lord would say to us today through this. Psalm 16, God's Word says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come on this beautiful Lord's Day, on this Easter Sunday morning, we come ready to hear from you. And Lord, we come from all over the state, all over the region, uh, gathered together by family and our uh, connection to this church And if we were to take a survey and look at why people are here, we might, if we got honest answers, we might get all sorts of different answers as to why people are here in this sanctuary today at this very hour. But yet we believe that you are in control of all things. We believe that you have gathered us together. Whether we came because of a family gathering or because we are a member here or we just wanted to come for Easter service or whatever the case might be, we know that it is because of you that we are gathered here. And it is because of the resurrection, ultimately, that we are gathered together. It is because of that great resurrection morning when the women who had followed Jesus for three years went to the tomb to expecting to find a body that was already beginning to decay and instead they found it empty and angels waiting instead. And it is because of that great day that churches throughout this world, not just here in Georgiana or even in Butler County, but throughout this world celebrate a risen Savior. They celebrate the fact that the tomb is empty, that you have caused your son to be raised from the dead. And we celebrate that not because it's just a fact of history, but because it means something. It means that we have hope of rising again as well. And so, Father, as we consider this word of David today, may it change us. 
if we are outside of the family of Christ, if we have never trusted in Jesus Christ today, may it draw us near so that we trust in the sacrifice and the resurrection that Jesus has accomplished for us. And if we are a part of your family, Lord, I pray that you would also draw us near to rest evermore in the sacrifice and the resurrection, to trust that we have a hope that goes beyond the grave, And that because of that, we can live faithfully. We can live boldly in this world. Father, I pray that you would use me and the words that you have given me to preach that I might encourage and build up and that they might draw people to you to trust in your son for salvation. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, if you were to consider all of the religions of the world and what most people believe in the world, if you were to look at all the differences and doctrines uh, that people believe, you'll find that there's a great disparity. People believe all sorts of strange things. Even we Christians can hold on to rumors and and, uh, traditions and superstitions. But the world is full of various beliefs of many different kinds. But I want to suggest that there is one consistent belief that every human being has at a practical level. Now, I'm not talking about what we actually know. And I'm not talking about what we actually say we believe. I'm talking about what we really, at a practical level, believe about ourselves and about this world. And the one thing that I want to suggest today that everybody believes, whether they say they do or not, whether they pretend like they do or hold to this doctrine or not, I want to suggest that everyone in this world believes one thing, and that is we believe that we will not die. Now, sure, we know death is coming. We see it happening all around us. We just don't believe it's going to happen to us. You can tell that just watching any given set of teenagers any Saturday afternoon or evening, and you know they don't believe they're going to die. But we, even as we age, we don't believe we're going to die, especially here in America. We don't believe we're going to die. And you can tell that in the way that we live, in the way that we talk, in the way that we act out and practice our lives on a day-to-day basis. Particularly here in America, you can tell it because we as a culture despise aging. We despise it. We put on anti-aging creams and makeup and we endure plastic surgery. Now, ladies, don't get me wrong. Makeup is fine. Uh, I had a pastor, the first pastor I ever served under when I was a youth minister in Lynette, said, ladies, if the house needs painting, paint it. So I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with makeup. And we men, we, we are in the same boat here in America. We take... We're encouraged to look like we're 20, 30 years younger than we actually are. We take pills to get back that vitality of life. I'm a little disturbed, honestly, when I get my Field and Stream or my Outdoor Life magazine because I think it betrays how old I actually am when I turn to the back of it and there are all these ads for youthful vitality for men that have an ad of a man with a beautiful woman. And and the man, I think, in the picture is actually 29 years old. They just dye his hair gray so that he looks a little older. And and he's he's got all these 
these muscles. And if I take this pill, then I can be just like him. I can get my vitality back. But we believe that or we practice these things because we despise aging. And we also hide away the darkness of death whether it be in the food system and the food that we eat or in the way that we talk about death among those that we love. Just in the last 80 years, we have sanitized our food system to the point that children today have no idea that the chicken nuggets they're eating once were a living, breathing animal. And when we talk about our own death, we don't even have a word that describes it. We speak of middle age and retirement and senior care, but we can't bring ourselves to say what comes after that. When we talk about death, we call it passing away or moving on or crossing over, but rarely does anyone call it what it is. Now, while we don't want to believe that death will come for us, It is, death is the truest, most universal fact of human existence. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, It is appointed to man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Death is the coldest, hardest fact that we face. And this fact shapes our whole lives. We, we actually, whether we know it or not, we spend our whole lives in one way or another preparing for or trying to avoid death. But we may try to escape it. We may try to prolong its coming. We may try to gloss over it. But in the end, death will come. The wisest man to ever live, King Solomon, at the end of his life, considered this very fact. And his conclusion was that the inevitability of death meant that our efforts in life were ultimately meaningless. They were ultimately vapor. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, Solomon says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. His point is that all of our efforts to extend our lives, to prolong death, to or prolong the the coming of death, to somehow escape the inevitability of it, all of that is pointless. And Solomon goes on in chapter two to say that men tend to try three different paths in escaping the inevitability of death. First, he says that some men pursue wisdom because they believe that wisdom will somehow cure them of death or provide a cure for death to them. And some people today, they think that, you know, if you just live the, a, a righteous life, if you just live life by a certain code, if you just live in a certain way, then you can in that way escape death. But others, and especially in our day, others think that we can, if we just have the right knowledge, if we just have the right keys to the universe, then we can escape death. You especially see that in the way that we uh, uh, admire and reverence technology 
and science. We believe that at some point, science is going to provide the answers to all of the problems that we face. Particularly, science will provide the answer to death. And we think that with all of the computer technology that we have today, there are some people that believe that one day science will be able to capture our conscience and transfer that from one body to the next or from one machine to the next. And we'll just be able to go on and on living in a perpetual state of technological advancement as we move our consciousness from one body to the next. And let me just say, as a computer engineer, that's the biggest bunch of malarkey you will ever hear because there is no way that you can transfer a soul from one piece of technology to the next. But not everyone takes the path of wisdom. Solomon says that there's another route that many people choose, and that route is the path of self-indulgence. Many think if life is useless, then why not just live it up? Why not just be who I am, do what I want to do, enjoy life, eat, drink, and tomorrow we may die? And this too is a popular notion in our day. Many of us have become and live as existentialists, which is to say that we believe that we make our own meaning and purpose in life. We make our own way. We blaze our own path. We make truth for ourselves. Some even believe that the more indulgent and the, more, and the weirder you can be, the more likely you are to live forever in the following that you create. If you can just make enough noise, get enough fame, or insta-fame, as we call it now, then you can, you can uh, live forever in the memory of those who follow you. So, people preen and prance for every like that they can get on Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat. And there's a third path that Solomon gives. He says that some pursue immortality through their work. They think that if they can just gain enough wealth, just build enough of a brand, just gain enough power, just, de de just develop enough recognition, then they can live on through the work that they leave behind. You see this in the aspirations of businessmen who set out to build enough wealth to pass on to their family so that they can live on in that way. You see it also in the things that we collect and, and we own, whether it be lands and possessions or possessions. And honestly, I wonder if some people don't hope just a little bit that their children will fight over their inheritance so they can be remembered for just a little while longer. Solomon's ultimate conclusion is that whatever path you take to escape death, it's ultimately useless. If you gain all the wisdom in the world so that you understand the deep, dark secrets of the universe, what good does it do when death still comes? An oncologist can still die of cancer because he is just as vulnerable with all of the wisdom that he has or she has. He is just as vulnerable to that disease as anybody else is. If you indulge in every pleasurable thing so that you hold nothing back from your desires, there are two things that will inevitably happen. Number one, 
you will find that your desires are dulled over time by the, the indulgences that you have, and you will never be able to fulfill those desires and, and truly find a fulfillment to, to them. And second, you'll find that your indulgences come to own you. Sure, it's fun for a while. It's enjoyable for a while. But you have never met someone who fully indulged in a substance or a practice or whatever else they might find to fulfill their lives who is not totally destroyed by it. If you toil away building your empire and collecting your things so that your children will have something to remember you by, you will still die. And who's to say what they will do with the inheritance once you leave? You won't be there to control it. You can put it in the will. You can tell them exactly what they should do with the land or the tractor or the house or whatever it is. But guess what? You ain't there. It don't matter. They will end up, as Solomon says, they could end up squandering it away in reckless living and you can't do anything about it. If you live for this world, trusting in your own wisdom or pleasure or work to help you escape the inevitable judgment of death, you are living a life that is ultimately meaningless and doomed to the terrible disappointment that comes. But there's another way to live. And we find that in the passage that we read from Psalm, 1, uh, Psalm 16. David says that the way to preserve your life is actually to lose it in the Lord. He starts his psalm by saying that the only way that his life can be preserved is not by gaining worldly wisdom and it's not by gaining treasure and it's not by seeking pleasure, but it's by having re- seeking refuge in and placing his hope in the Lord of heaven and earth. The result of that hope is that the Lord protects him, the Lord instructs him, and the Lord makes his heart glad. But there's an ultimate blessing that comes from, from hoping in the Lord. And that's found in verse, verses 10 and 11. Notice those verses again with me, if you would. It says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, that's the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So the psalmist says that the ultimate joy, the ultimate hope of trusting in Jesus Christ, trusting in the Lord, is that God will not allow his body to see corruption. And it says that he will lead him in the path of life where there are pleasures that last forever. Now, how is it that David can have this hope in the resurrection? This hope of eternal life. How is it that he can have this hope when life under the sun, as Solomon calls it, is all uselessness? How is it that how can he have this hope when there is no way to gain eternal life through wisdom or pleasure or work? Paul, the Apostle Paul, explains how in Acts chapter 13, verses 34 through 39. 
Paul uses this very passage that we just read to, while he is preaching to Jewish non-believers. And he says, And as for the fact that he raised Christ from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be free by the law of Moses. You see, friend, Jesus Christ is the one righteous man who fully hoped in the Lord and waited on his purpose. And Jesus Christ is the only righteous man who lived a perfect life. And because of that perfect life, he was condemned to death by sinful men on a Roman cross. But in Jesus' death, he died the death that you deserved. He died for you. And he died so that you might be forgiven of the false hope that you place in worldly wisdom or the delight that you have in sinful pleasure, or the expectation you have in your useless works. And in the resurrection that Jesus has brought, He has also given you the only hope that you could ever have of escaping the inevitability of death. Jesus says in John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. The hope of Easter is the hope of Psalm 16. That there is a way that God has provided through which we can escape death. That way is found only in faith in Jesus Christ, who has died for our sins and rose again to defeat death for us. So friend, today is the day of salvation. Today can be the day in which you turn away from your hope of escaping death through your own wisdom or science or technology or through pleasure or through your own works. Today can be the day that you lay down those hopes of beating death by your own means. And instead, today can be the day that you trust in Christ for your salvation and know the hope of true life in Him. Won't you trust in Christ today? Brothers and sisters, on this Easter morning, we draw near to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. We draw near as we remember His sacrifice through this Lord's Supper that we're about to take. But this table that is set before us also looks forward to the final resurrection that is to come. This is something that we remember as a way of reflecting on the past. It's something that we do right now in the presence every quarter as a way of practicing our faith. And it's something that looks forward to the day when Christ will return. So we observe the Lord's Supper 
not in remembrance of a good leader who came and taught some good things and then died and people just remembered him from then on. But we come to celebrate the risen Savior who lives eternally. And because he lives, we will live too. At this time, I'd invite the deacons to come forward as we observe the Lord's Supper. And I invite you, if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are welcome to take of this supper with us. And as they come, um, I need to get out of the way.